My nieces knew. They knew about my sister. Knew. Somehow, they just knew she was in trouble. Limbic resonance. It's a language older than our species. Good, I'm excited. Me too. Very yeah. excited. Where do, what, will you want to tell the good people what we are talking about today? We're talking about Sense8. Yeah, we are. Hell yeah. For now. Until and forever. Yes, the near future. You're the far future. welcome. Yes. So yeah, it is our first little foray into the world of television with the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. Um, to be fair, they created this with what's-his-face. J. Michael Straczynski. Yes, known for Babylon 5. That's true. Yeah. So, anyway, they did a Netflix TV show. It lasted for two seasons, but we are starting from the very beginning. So, mm-hmm. it will go episode to episode equivalent. Uh, so, uh, we're starting with the very first episode of the first season, uh, which I think became available in June 2015. Might have been May. May was season two. Well, I don't know that. I'm just... <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> oh, you're right. It was June. It, <laughs> it was, was in June. June. I remember. Um, not important. The point is, it came out in 2015, which is the same year that Jupiter Ascending came out. So it was a Wachowski-heavy year. But, um, yeah, so today we're just going to talk about the first episode. Which is called... Limbic Resonance. You got it. Yeah. Yes. And this first one is a bit longer than some of the others. Yes. Although it is, it's rather all over the place, you know? Mm-hmm. I think they got, well, they got that Netflix freedom to... Yeah, I always tell people, and I'm not sure if there's too much truth to it, but um, once you get past the third episode, I feel like the third episode, it's it almost feels like the end of the pilot. Yeah. To me, um, obviously, the first episode is the pilot, and it's a little bit longer than the next two episodes. But mm-hmm. um, this world is really uh, expansive and complicated. And so it would make sense that, you know, it takes a little bit longer to kind of get everything going in motion, especially when you have eight main characters. So um, I guess before we dive in, do you want to talk about first experience watching the first season as a whole? Since yes. this is the first episode. Yes, we are just going to talk about anything in the future of the show that comes up, by the way. Yes, uh, we are working under the assumption with these Sense8 episodes that if you're listening to them, you have watched season one through two. You are all caught up. The, yes. the finale has not come out yet mm. uh, as of this recording session. But don't worry, when it does, we will get to it. Yes, I mean, I think by the time we get, you know, before we finish season one, somewhere in the middle, yeah, it will have come out and we can include that in yes. our thoughts. But as of now, currently. Yes, as of now, we both saw Sensei together mm-hmm. back in 2015. Yeah after seeing like Jupiter Ascending earlier in the year which we talked about mm-hmm. last time I don't remember when I heard about Sensei for the first time I think I heard about it the year before uh, there were just uh, you know it was announced of course but there were also these rumors that it was kind of crazy like there were these rumors that they had filmed uh, live births for it yeah. it was you know it was 2014 when this rumors were happening and I want to say Netflix had been doing original programming for like either two or three years so there was definitely a sense of like wow they're really letting people go for it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and 
I think the climate was a little different, but when it actually came out in June 2015, yes. we were pretty excited. I think I read a few reviews or things mm-hmm. before, and uh, you know they weren't all positive, but it sounded like stuff I would like. I, I was very gung-ho going into it. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that negative things I heard sounded like positives to me. Yeah. And we did hear from a few people that it picked up a bit uh, by the time you got to, as you say, the third episode, which yeah. is the one the critics, last one the critics got. And so I pretty much was enjoying it anyway, but I always had that in my mind, this thought that as soon as we hit episode four, it's it's going to be a masterpiece or something. Right. <laughs> and um, I, I was very prepared to be on board, and I would say I wasn't necessarily actually on board mm-hmm. in that complete way until around halfway through the season. Really? But once I was, I never lost it again. <laughs> never looked back. I mean, yeah, I, I liked it, and 4 was definitely a bigger deal episode mm-hmm. than the previous ones. Yeah. Uh, but we're talking about, I guess, going from really enjoying it to actually just thinking, oh, this show is very special, mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like it's like it's getting better and better, and it doesn't seem like it's going to get worse. It just feels too confident, I guess. It feels like it is going somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about it, and I loved the like the last third of the season in particular so much that. It sort of cemented in my head instantly, and I knew that regardless of what happened in the future of the show, like it was a special show to me mm-hmm. uh, because it was the kind of show that it, I wanted to show to people, and and I did. <laughs> and oh, did we ever! Yes. Yeah, the uh, the first time I heard about it was from you. You were like, "Hey, the Wachowskis are making a TV show on Netflix." I was like, "Ooh, that sounds fun," and so I didn't really think anything of it. Uh, unlike you, I didn't really hear any you know, twitterings about, oh yes, you know, uh, this is happening, and, and the critics have got the first three episodes to, you know, write reviews for, mm-hmm. and so I didn't know what to expect, but I think this was around the same time you'd shown me Cloud Atlas for the first time, which yeah. was a really good mindset to get into, uh, to go into this series, because this series shares a lot of similarities in the sense that it is exploring, you know, themes of, like, um, gender, identity, sexuality, kind of crossing all borders, there are no borders or boundaries type of a deal. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, on a narrative level, you have things that are happening. Um, a lot of different storylines. I mean, there's what, like six main characters, more or less, in Cloud Atlas. There's eight in this one. And they kind of treat it the same way where um, they hit the ground running and they're not going to hold your hand through it. You just kind of, mm-hmm. which gives it great rewatch value, by the way. Uh, we were talking about this when we watched the the first episode again recently in prep for this podcast episode. And it's weird because you're never going to get the same experience again as the first time you watched it. Because especially with the first couple episodes, I remember <laughs> after we watched the very first episode, you looked at me and you're like, so what'd you think? And I was like... I like it. I have no idea what's happening, which is the same way I felt when I watched Cloud Atlas, like the first 40 minutes. I'm like, I don't know what's Mm -hmm. happening, but slowly the pieces kind of fall into place. And then when you go back and you rewatch it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so well crafted and more or less everything makes sense to me. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, you can't, you don't know in hindsight because you obviously haven't experienced the whole thing yet. It's disorienting. Yes. And I think it, it doesn't help that it also has a tendency to go off 
on tangents mm-hmm. about uh, other things that Wachowskis and Jay Michael Straczynski want to talk about. Right. Uh, which means that the first time you watch, you can't even tell which bits you need to remember and which bits are like philosophy, <laughs> philosophical yeah. pontificating by the characters, like in the sense of, you know, in the Matrix sequels, right. where, well, uh, most of that stuff is important to the themes of the plot, mm-hmm. but it can still kind of come off like we're just riffing on concepts right now, mm-hmm. and it happened to make its way into the final product. Right. And uh, I wanted to say that uh, you and I both haven't seen Babylon 5, and I don't mm-hmm. really know much about J. Michael's work. The Yeah, the only um, thing I know about him is he plans his series like crazy. Yeah. And what we did know about Sensei is they planned the series to be five seasons long. And it got canceled after season two. And then thanks to the rallying cry of many fans, including yours truly, uh, Netflix agreed to give it a two-hour finale. I yeah. tend to think that that he is generally credited with that planning. Yes. And the idea that um, not only does the show tend to come together in pretty clearly thought out ways, mm-hmm. but also everyone had this feeling that it would continue to do so. Yes. And that they knew exactly what they were doing in mm-hmm. a way that is often not the case, of course, with genre shows yes. like this, just because he has such a reputation for that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen other people talk about bits where they think, oh, this really sounds like a, a line from one of his works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't really comment on that, although it does sound like he has uh, some similar sensibilities as the Wachowskis, because I've heard people say that about parts that also sound like them mm-hmm. to me. I think he is also rather, he can be pretty sentimental, I think. He, like, it's not necessarily uh, elegant plotting, but, like, for as far as dialogue goes, the Wachowskis and him are both, they're not necessarily always elegant. They're, uh, they're big ideas people, and they like to try to convey lots of things, and that means they're not quite as graceful as some writers all the time necessarily in but damn the actual are they dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there are bits that might not work as well, and I think that can probably be attributed to everyone involved sometimes. But since I don't know much about him, otherwise I probably won't bring him up that yeah. much or talk about him. But I thought it would be fun to run down the other um, consistent collaborators that yeah, are involved before sure. we talk about it, because we can get that out of the way. Yes. I'm sure you have that written down, but you can More or less. I mean, essentially, this is kind of like Endgame in terms of MVPs, minus getting Keanu Reeves and Hugo Weaving. You get a lot of people who have um, previously been in Wachowski projects, whether it's, you know, behind the camera or in front of the camera. So um, behind the camera, you have the Wachowskis directing certain episodes. Mm-hmm. And when I say directing, and I wish I kind of clarified this a little bit with uh, Cloud Atlas as well, like, I think it, it more has to do with um, contracts and distribution, because you'll say, like, hey, they directed this, but I think they're pretty adamant when they say, like, it's very collaborative. Yeah. Like, we all worked on this. So to, like, designate certain locations or areas... I mean, obviously, some of them might take the brunt of it for certain locations as opposed to, you know, some other directors, but it's it's a super collaborative process. Mm-hmm. But it is important to note that um, in terms of credit, um, they have designated a, a couple episodes, the Wachowskis directing. Um, and then you have Tom uh, 
Tyker, which we <laughs> never figured out how to say his name. Who, look it up. Who did Cloud Atlas with them. He directs a couple episodes. And yeah, he also does, does the, the score. Yeah, yeah, which is really fun. Um, and then who else do we have? Well, there's James McTeague, who's also a director, and he did Viva Vendetta. Yes. And he's, I believe, their longtime AD. Yeah, so that's behind the camera. Um, in front of the camera, we've kind of talked about them as we've gone through uh, some of the films. Yeah, I think I think the actors I we think can cover more as they come up. Yeah, but uh, I guess there the are some. In, are there some in the first one? Yeah, I mean, obviously Riley is the big of one. Course, yeah. Riley is one of the eight main characters, and she popped up in Jupiter Ascending. She was Kalik, the third rival sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, and but Duna. yeah. Yeah, and then Duna, of course. Yeah, Duna was also in Cloud Atlas, and then obviously she was in a little snippet of Jupiter Ascending as well. And here she is, Sun. Yes, and she's great. Yeah, I think there are some other people. There are more side characters that we can talk about. Yeah, not just actors. I think there are some other people, but I can't remember them all right now. Right. So we'll bring them up as they as they come up. Plus, there are a few production changes uh, in the second season, and Mm -hmm. we can talk about that when we get there as they come up. Yeah, but for now, I guess we can dive into the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to kind of talk about the characters and some observations, or do you want to talk about, like, your first reaction to the first episode? I think uh, it would be fun to talk about the characters. Okay, And let's also do it. to, yeah, to talk about, despite what you said about um, the first three being a pilot, yes. about what this is actually like as a pilot, if you take it that way. Yes. Uh, it's all a bit muddled with Netflix and all that now these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can watch the next one immediately anyway. Which is so great, because yeah, you get for hooked. Show. <laughs> yes. Um, and, of course, in this pilot, uh, the eight characters, not all of them are that represented anyway. Yeah. They I, I are all introduced, though. I would say that the, the <laughs> last priority would be uh, talking about some of these interesting connections. Yes. We notice they relate to the rest, but... Uh, the most important thing is just the base characters themselves. Yeah, so you want to talk about them? Yeah. So we can go in order. You wrote actually the order in which they appeared. We should talk about them in that order. We should do that. Yeah. Um, so what happens, we should, before we even talk about the eight characters, we should probably talk about their mama. <laughs> That's true. That is the opening scene. <laughs> that is the opening scene. So Daryl Hannah plays um, Angelica, and the very like first shot of the entire series is this nice really decrepit church in Southside Chicago where and it's just a bizarre scene if you don't know what's going on which again cannot stress this enough the entire time we talk about Sensei the rewatch value on this is just amazing so first time you watch it you're like I don't know what the fuck is going on but essentially it opens with this lady who's you know kind of looks like she's drugged out of her mind it's daryl hannah she looks like she's in bad shape she's on a mattress it looks like she's not talking to anybody who's there and then they are there but they're not yeah they're appearing behind her but then there's these wide shots and she's alone yeah so it's very weird because she's having this conversation with jonas who's played by uh, naveen andrews and she seems to be in a lot of pain and the implication is she's about to give birth and she doesn't want to do it because she's like, I don't want more people to die because of me. Mm-hmm. And Jonas is just like, they're going to be hunted either way, so give them a fighting chance. So she's having that conversation with him. At the same time, there's another guy that pops up in there, this creepy white bearded dude mm-hmm. who's also talking to her. And it becomes very obvious that he's talking to her, but he doesn't know that someone else is there. Yeah. So it's like she's kind of the middleman between these two guys, and they're aware that the other one is there, but they can't see each other, and they're not interacting to mm-hmm. each other. 
it's very weird. And she seems to be very distressed, but she agrees to give quote-unquote birth. And when she does that, it just kind of is like a link is connected between these eight people, and mm. there's a montage. And, and so we see you all of them, and uh, I just wanted to finish up on the yes. scene, and then the the creepy bearded guy yes. seems to show up for real, Yes. and she shoots herself. Yeah, and, he, and he's kind of taunting her the whole time, being mm. like, oh, you've made this threat before, you're not going to do this. You don't really love Jonas. Does he know you're lying when you say you love him? It's a lot of mm. deep shit that's going on. And it's like, well, I don't know what's happening. Makes um, more sense later. Yes. So so after that, yeah. you know, we well, essentially she, are getting She gives bits. birth and you get a montage of them seeing her for the first yes. time. So you see all of them. Yeah. And, and so then the for the rest of it, it's you're them. seeing little bits of each of their lives. And you get barely anything because it's a lot of, uh, the pilot has a lot of stuff to fit in. Yeah. Um, but uh, essentially, they're slowly also finding connections with each other, right. and we can talk about them in the order you see them when she uh, births them. Yes. So the way we put it is, for this episode, with the main characters, they're starting very slowly but surely to experience things together, but they're not necessarily interacting with one another mm-hmm. yet, with the exception of one couple. Yeah. They don't um, have conscious uh, Yeah, they're starting to all realize that something weird is happening to them. So, in the montage, you first get Lido, who is a kind of Spanish descendant actor who's based in Mexico. Yes. Um, you get Riley, who is this Icelandic DJ who's currently residing in London. You get Sun, who seems to be this professional corporate businesswoman in Seoul, Korea. You get Wolfgang, who is attending some sort of funeral in Berlin. You get Will, who is a cop in Chicago. You get Kala, who appears to be like an Indian pharmacist. And then you get Kafius, who is a bus driver in Nairobi, in Kenya. And then you get Nomi, who is living with her girlfriend. We don't really know what she does. And we don't, bl- <laughs> we don't know what she does as of now in the pilot. Later we find out she's... She's a blogger and a hacktivist. Yes, she also. She, I don't know if she does that anymore, but no, she has but a lot she got money, money from, from it. it. So, anywho, yes, they get the montage of all of them, and they all kind of look confused. <laughs> and then you kind of go and dive into the episode one by one with introductions, and it's sl- slowly starting to make connections. Sort of like Cloud Atlas, I guess. Yes. But not in any actual order. That's correct. Yeah, though the connections that they do make is it's very interesting. Yes. Um, I think everything is carefully thought about in that way even if the viewer is not going to get it the first time yeah for sure so one of the weird things that happens after the montage of her quote-unquote giving birth and then killing herself is um you get will who's the cop from chicago it's essentially i feel like him having a nightmare where it's him as baby will (laughs) which Mm -hmm. you don't get the first time by the way it's very confusing but it makes sense after you watch the whole thing through he's running around chasing after this little girl who's like come and find me will and then he sees um angelica and then he kind of wakes up and he's hearing loud music and he's like, oh, this is really annoying. So he goes next door to his apartment, starts banging on the door. It opens up, and There's it's empty. There's no one there. There's no one there. And you're just like, what is happening? And then the the like kind of house music that he's hearing, it cuts to Riley, who's in London DJing the set, and that's the music that he's hearing. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of like the first introduction. 
and then she gets to meet creepy Uncle Benji from Game of Thrones <laughs> with her questionable drug dealer friends mm-hmm. who are like, Riley, amazing set. You're so <laughs> awesome. We love you. Here, meet our friend. He's really into your set and, like, super into you. It's insane. Like, kind of on a creepy level. He's like, I've seen this one set, and I know so much about her <laughs> now. And they're, they're kind of, like, pushing her, being like, hey, Riley, tell him about your weird thing that you saw. And she's like, oh, no, I just have a headache. It's too many drugs. And they're like, no, tell her, tell him about the, the woman that you saw. And then he's like, oh, yeah, limbic resonance, or let me tell you about my thoughts on synoptic biology and <laughs> all this. And the first time you watch it, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, he's just talking talking to her and, and being like, yeah, guys, genes are crazy sensitivity and intuition is insane and you know what you could really do to open that up drugs Drugs. more drugs more drugs so yeah so anyway that happens and then it cuts over to leto who i'll say it here and now i love all of them but i like that is one of the nice things about the show is i don't think any of them are particularly weak characters they're all really interesting obviously some of them get more to do initially than the others which we will talk about later down the line, episode to episode. But, like, Leto's almost always my favorite. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have favorites, but if I did, it'd probably be Leto, just because even though his story might not be, um, it's definitely more, like, interior issues than the rest of them sometimes, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, he's super entertaining, and I love him. So, um, And it's a great introduction to him because he's going into a church to shoot a priest and you're like wow this is bold this is a dramatic show this is very dramatic and yet at the same time i was fooled because i was like i feel like this is 100 percent something that the wachowskis would do and then it is very quickly revealed <laughs> that uh he says a line i'm gonna blow your fucking brains out and then the guy goes oh are we going off script and it's revealed that he is an actor movie star movie star which is interesting that he says that line and they're like dude that's not even written where are you getting this you first you know you were seeing suicide angels and now this and it's interesting that he says that because he's totally seen Angel- uh, Angelica and she did blow her brains out so mm-hmm. something is triggering him anywho so it goes to him and then I believe after that you get to meet uh, Sun, very quickly. She is in a corporate building. She's the one who's in uh, Seoul, Korea. And she is trying to coordinate a, a closing a deal, but her brother is not there, and so she's stepping up to do it. And the guy is super sexist and horrible to her. And he's like, oh, you're the sister of the corporation. Look, women don't close, okay? And then her brother pops up, and he's like, hey, man. And you're just like, oh, this is gross, and they're smarmy, and I hate them both. Um, But it's very quickly established that she is not appreciated, both in the company and within her family. She's kind of treated like shit. But she's always in there to, like, save and cover them. So I think that's a good intro. Um, And then we've got Kala, who is in India. She's going to head out to a temple. Um, but before she does that, she hears that it's raining, and so she's yelling for her family, being like, guys, where's the umbrellas? And then her dad is there, and he owns a restaurant, and he's like, what are you talking about? It's very sunny out. She's like, oh my god, but I heard it. That's crazy. 
and uh, quickly establish that she is getting married and it's going to be a very good marriage for her because uh, the guy that she's marrying is essentially her boss's son and her boss runs this big pharmaceutical company and he's kind of a super rich entrepreneur um, very progressive in the sense that he wants to push uh, India into a more uh, modern age at the point at the sacrifice of you know rejecting traditional culture and um, yes although we haven't met him we yet. haven't met him yet but let's just say he's an asshole guys not a fan anyway so long story short she works at the pharmaceutical company and his son has proposed to her and she's getting married to him really soon and everyone's really excited about it but as you come to find out in the episode uh, she goes to the temple and is like, hey, I'm not really into this guy, and there's nothing wrong with him. He's super nice. It's a great match, but I don't love him. So yeah, so that's Kala. I think that's pretty much all you get out of her for this episode. Yes. She's not very, she's not in it very much. But it is important to note that the rain that she thought she was hearing is actually raining in Berlin, and Wolfgang is there with his whole family and his best friend Felix, who we love. And it apparently, I think his um. Someone has died. I don't actually know who. It's his grandfather. Oh, there you go. Or something like that. Yeah. It's some relative. Um, So you're very quickly introduced to his cousin, who is the snake oiler and speed racer. He's got a really nice, uh, weird-looking bald head tattoo thing going on. And he's kind of mocking him. And uh, his best friend, Wolfgang's best friend, Felix, makes the insinuation that they're going to somehow pull off some sort of crime and it'll piss off his family and then he goes and literally pisses on his father's grave and you're like what the actual fuck is happening here which is confusing yes because his father is not involved before that in the scene so i think to most people watching it for the first time uh you're like wait is this his father's funeral right but like it's not his father's funeral it's just confusing confusion i think they do mention him when he goes in the line to like hug his uncle and his uncle's like this reminds me of your father (laughs) we're just like okay it's hard to catch the kind of thing when you don't even know what's going on and who these people are and we don't know any of their names again they throw you right in they do not hold your hand at all um so that happens and then you meet Kafius, who is with his mom, who is clearly suffering from, uh, I believe it's, it's, she's suffering from some sort of disease. I'm assuming it is AIDS. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Actually, no, it is, because they, they say AIDS in right. the third episode. Yeah. So he's, he is the one who is in uh, Nairobi, in Kenya, and he is kind of taking care of her, and she's like, why are you so good to me? And he's just like, you know, because I'm a good human being. He doesn't say that, but, you know, gets the point across. He seems That's very true. optimistic, and he says, I think today is going to be a really good day. And what he does is he is a bus driver. He drives the Van Dam, which is the most epic, epic of epics, epic vehicle since the Batmobile, which, ironically enough, they're competing against the Batvan Bat-Van. in order to get, you know, passengers to drive into the city. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, pretty much him, Kala, and Son, so the guy who is in Kenya, the girl who is in India, and the other girl who is in uh, Seoul in South Korea, they don't really have that much going on in this episode, short of being introduced. So. I um, don't really think the Lido does either. True, but he has memorable scenes. I would say the first one is dominated by uh, Will and Riley and 
know me. Yeah. And I always forget one when I try to count all of them. I always get to seven. <laughs> so who's the other one? What do you mean? Who's left over? Nomi is the one we haven't uh, introduced yet. No, but there is Will and Riley. There's and Will, Nomi Riley, and Kafias, and Leto, Leto, Sun, Sun, and Kala, Kala, and Wolfgang. Wolfgang, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not even Wolfgang, really. I'd say it's basically yeah. Will, Riley, and Nomi. Pretty much. Yeah. So, anywho, uh, you get to meet <laughs> after uh, Kafias with his mom. You get to meet Nomi with Almanita, her girlfriends, and they're having a sex scene. And for some people, this is a big turn-off. <laughs> what is this, like, ten minutes in? This is, like, Longer. maybe ten minutes in. Because the first scene is really in. long. Yeah. Um, I would say probably ten minutes after the teaser of, yeah. you know, Angelica getting shot. Um, yeah, so they're having sex, and it's pride. And it's exciting. And they're talking about, like, pretty much their whole storyline is Nomi being like, oh, so exciting, we're going to Pride. And she's kind of having flashbacks of the first time she went to Pride with her girlfriend. Um, and I guess it's important to note, because it is going to come up later, Nomi is transgender. And they're going to explore that. And I think that it's an important note, because she has a... Um, there's some certain connections within the cluster of Sense8 that she has where it, it kind of makes sense thematically why they pair, they pair her up with them sometimes. Mm -hmm. So but uh, so it's just pretty much addressing that. She's transgender. She lives in Plus, San Francisco. I think Her it, girlfriend's awesome. It's Martha from Doctor Who, for all you fans out there. You're going to see Martha in a whole new light, a.k.a. you get to see her boobs. So, fun times. And an accent, an American accent, which I think she does a really good job of. Mm-hmm. He's good. Yeah, and then it's mainly just kind of cutting between everybody, and you slowly see certain connections happening, um, and it pretty much, uh, we'll talk about the connections a little bit more, but it pretty much culminates in, you know, all of them kind of going throughout their day and realizing more or less that something's kind of off, with the exception of couple. I feel like Wolfgang doesn't really get anything, and Coffeeus doesn't really get anything mm -hmm. in terms of connection. Um... But if we're going to talk about how the episode is mainly about Will, Riley, and Nomi, yes, I and guess we should say that um, for Will, he's a Chicago cop. There is uh, a little bit of exposition with his partner, Diego, who also goes by D, who I love as well, um, where uh, his dad is also a cop, and apparently his dad got shot or something happened to him on the job, mm -hmm. and, you know... He's no longer what he once was, yes. essentially. And then it ends with Will telling his friend, like, dude, I had this really weird dream about this lady. And then they end up at the church at one point. Um, before that, he saves a, a kid who has been shot. Mm -hmm. And the kid belongs to a gang, I believe, on the south side. There's this whole thing with the hospital where he's like, you gotta take him. She's like, we can't take him. Anyway, so it's pretty much just like good guy cop Will ends up at this church and is freaking out to his partner Diego being like dude I've never been here right and he's like yeah and he's like okay then how do I know about this and he pulls out like this tin of drugs that Angelica had and it's right next to the mattress that she shot herself on and he's just like look drugs and a gun he's like okay buddy like there's no like this whole place is trashed give me like evidence of crime sure you got me so his friend walks out his partner walks out and Will meets Riley because she shows up at the church and he's just like, hi, do you live here? Mm -hmm. And she's like, 
no, I live in London, I've never been to America. And he's like, oh, okay. And they're kind of starting a connection, and then she freaks out, and they actually have an interaction where it's intercut where she's back in London. Uh, essentially, her drug dealer friends have turned on creepy Uncle Benjamin because they're trying to rob him, and they kind of lulled him into a false sense of security by having a fun, drugged-out time, and he didn't want to have a fun, drugged-out time with them unless Riley was there. So, it ends with a big shootout in the drug den, and Will freaking out, and Riley freaking out, and her covered in blood, and everybody else seems to be dead, and that's how it ends. So that's kind of their storyline going. And then the storyline with Nomi is essentially her at Pride going throughout the day and then kind of seeing Angelica and also freaking out. Yes. So. I think uh, not that much happens to Nomi plot-wise, but she just does have more interactions material yeah uh, than than the others and i think in general nomi kind of dominates the first half of three or four um but what's interesting of course is that it is always a balance and she's actually if you think of each uh, character as having a specific story arc in the first season Mm -hmm. hers definitely ends first yes and then she spends pretty much the rest of the season being a supporting Mm -hmm. player sort of to the others as many of them have their arcs. arcs finished much closer to the actual finale. Yeah. It is one of those things with this show, since there are eight main characters, you're always going to have like their individual character arcs and then the overall arc of them together as a sense cluster. Um, so it is a balancing act, and sometimes you'll get more storyline for just their characters, and sometimes you'll get more storyline for them overall yeah. as a cluster. That is definitely, of course, part of what contributed to some people uh, apparently finding Sensei too preachy. Yes. Or whatever word they wanted to use. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think her story is the most uh, explicitly... On the nose about... On the nose are just uh, progressive and steeped in progressive ideas. Not, yes. not just in her character, but in the fact that she's actively having conversations with other people about this kind of thing. Yes. And moral philosophies and things like that. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that turns some people off before they could realize that that's actually just how it happens to start. Yeah. I think anyone who watched the whole first season would see that uh, every character gets their own time to shine. And even, you know, I don't have much sympathy for that complaint, I guess, in regards to Nomi and all. Mm -hmm. But if someone just didn't like a character very much, uh, they might be thrown off not realizing, like as we've talked about, that Coffeeist and Sun, for example, don't do pretty much anything until about episode three. Yeah. And you kind of have to see it all to realize that. Otherwise, it might seem like some of them are right. being left behind and right. the show is very overly focused on the others. Mm-hmm. But it's really just a practical matter, I think, about mm-hmm. how to balance that kind of thing. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about certain connections? Uh, yes, we can talk about certain connections. So I guess we could start with Will and Riley because they kind of dominate this yes they're, um, they're the focus for i think for a reason yes that they are focused at the start because they're also heavily focused on the very end of mm-hmm. the season and in general are sort of a more of a heart of the group in a certain ways yeah they seem to be like we said briefly earlier that 
you're going to have character arcs mm-hmm. on top of, like, individual character arcs on top of cluster arcs. And their individual character arcs are very closely tied to their cluster arc. And so they are kind of like the beating heart of the show. Um, and it makes sense to have uh, more of a focus on them at the beginning because you are still learning the rules and how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, and since like their story so closely tied to the world of clusters and sensates and all of that, it makes sense that you're going to stick around with them for a little bit more. But perhaps more importantly, they're in love. They, yes, they are in love, <sighs> and also they, possibly as a result, are the first two to really proactively pursue connection mm-hmm. with each other. Yes. And thus it makes sense that they are the first to mm-hmm. really connect in the first place, because that indicates, I think, that they have a, one of the strongest connections yes. in the group. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the first time, I mean, like we said, when we were in briefly introducing them after their quote-unquote birth, um, yeah, Will hears music, and it's Riley's music. And then, so that's the first, like, quote-unquote experience, shared experience that he has, Mm -hmm. even though they don't actually interact um, right then. Uh, And then the other one, in terms of couples, because spoilers, um, you have uh, Wolfgang and Kala. Kala hears rain, Mm -hmm. and it's raining in Berlin, and it's actually Wolfgang. So her first kind of, like, experience of, oh, there's a connection with somebody else is with Wolfgang. Even then, they don't actually see each other or interact with each other. There's a connection there that's already being formed. Um, and then uh, Sun gets a chicken thrown at her. Yes, because <laughs> it's in Kafius's face. Because it's in Kafius's face as payment for a bus trip. <laughs> um, and their connection is interesting as well because uh, they have... Connection, I think, has to do with family yes. and uh, losing people mm-hmm. in their family in And particular. also having... I guess a, a strong connection to both their moms. Yes. Um, yeah. And plus there, she's going to be there to help him kick ass down the line. And it's funny because he's kind of like, you know, he named his best Van Damme. He kind of has dreams of, you know, action stars. He just kind of, you know, has stars in his eyes when he thinks about that, where she's mm-hmm. like a legit badass action star. So they, it's fun that they have that first initial connection. Um, Lido's first connection, I believe is with Nomi in the sense that you first are introduced to Nomi. She's having sex with Amanita. And then it cuts to Leto just doing all of his actor tics in the trailer. And he gets an erection and he gets almost seduced by one of his co-stars. And he's like, my heart belongs to another. He's generating this weird sexual energy with his trailer. Yes. And he's literally like, and it's not, we're not reading into this. He literally is just like, what the hell is happening? Like, I don't understand this. Why do I have an erection? Um, by the way, if it's not obvious, this, this, uh, this TV show is definitely mature. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of sex, and uh, you know it's kind of equal opportunity there, free for all. Yes. So just keep that in mind, guys. Really taking advantage of that Netflix freedom. Right. Yeah. So and and also um, speaking of Nomi, although we did say that Riley has her first interaction with Will where they're talking, it is I guess important to note that. Um, it's, it's not technically her first in the sense of, like, it's her first time interacting, but it's not her first time, quote-unquote, switching places with someone. Um, oh, yeah. Because she does that with uh, Nomi when she is talking to the drug dealer guys, and they're kind of being like, yeah, you should take drugs. And 
um, essentially cuts to her in the park, and she is Nomi. She is taking drugs. And Nomi is about to take a pot granny, so... And we should just mention a really fun thing <laughs> yeah. that you can see if you watch some of these behind-the-scenes videos. Which I will link up at the end of the first season. Yes. I'll show up if uh, I can find it. Where basically they always uh, do these actress switches in camera instead of you know messing around it's afterwards. It's a practical effect, and yes. it's hilarious if you think about being like, and Nomi was sitting there, and then they dragged her away, and now Riley's sitting there. Yeah. And now she's hiding from... It's some really I mean, cool I camera tricks. Most of the time, of course, it's something like we have one actor here and the other one's waiting and then one of them just ducks or the other one jumps up so it looks like they've switched places but in some fun cases it's pretty much impossible to do without help so like this Nomi Riley situation where you can see one of them get literally pulled out of the chair by other people and then replaced afterwards it's really funny it's Mm -hmm. awesome some fun practical work and speaking of practical work they filmed everything on location. It's amazing. We'll dive into that more later yeah, on. Yeah, we should talk more about that. But I think we could just say right now that yeah. that's a big strength of it is that yes. it's obviously uh, has a unique look from it's being a global, authentic. global, global television series. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most like diverse casts I've ever seen, and it's one of the most um, crazy amount of diverse locations. I don't exactly know about how they do all their indoor stuff if they find places in the countries or if they actually do all that somewhere else uh, I'm not sure I do know that I mean they kind of do blocks like they did with Cloud Atlas mm-hmm. um, so they do have to shoot scenes twice sometimes more I wouldn't be surprised I guess if you know for for Will for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. they go to a place in Chicago that works as a police station right they do it there mm-hmm. I mean considering I know that later on in the season mm-hmm. they had a plane fly in and yes. so they just put people on the plane and filmed out the windows yes I don't think you could put any realism bit past them yes agreed it's great I love it just on a production level this is insane I mean just look at the opening credits like yes <laughs> they Which filmed I all that it's fun because it's sort of uh, non story related version of that it's yeah, seeing it's all the countries yeah um and it doesn't have anything to do with our characters except for that you're seeing the places they're from yeah but it creates the same idea the show is trying to get across of yes. all these people being the same and different yes it's great i love it mm-hmm. anywho i guess we could talk about um what you had mentioned earlier just within the context of this episode mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of hard because we do have to do a lot more plot summary I think than we normally will for these episodes just because it is the pilot and there is a lot to set up. It's also about 65, 67 minutes. Yeah, so there's a lot going on. I mean, they're literally just introducing you to eight main characters on top of side characters and individual plots while also kind of setting you know, the little breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. to lead up to the more cluster-driven plots. Well, in terms of talking about the individual plots, Mm -hmm. I think it would make sense to talk about uh, Riley's just because the title of the episode comes from a scene with one her. Of her yeah, yeah conversations which is as we said uh, limbic resonance mm-hmm. which are <laughs> you made me just call him benjen all the time sorry but i know he has a name in the show i didn't look it up i think his name is nix or something like that yeah um and he's uh you know essentially revealed seems like he's kind of like a gangster yeah drug guy yeah uh, but in the first episode he's just a creepy dude mm-hmm 
And he's the one that's going all about this limbic resonance. And but he's really sincere. Like Yeah, well, I, that's my interpretation of him, is that he does believe all this stuff. He's just also very ruthless when he needs to be. Yeah, and I think he comes off as, like, incredibly genuine and, and almost obviously a little too strong because you get creepy vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, I agree. I think it's, it's very obvious that he has... Um, strong emotions so it makes Mm -hmm. sense that he when he likes someone he really likes them and then when he's betrayed he's going to be ruthless which spoilers because it's not very obvious at the end of this episode uh he doesn't die at the end of this episode he's the only one that lives (laughs) yep and yeah i find that conversation very interesting Mm -hmm. that he has at the rally yeah near the end of the episode um which is right before essentially what i think of is the the reverse not the reverse just the the other version of the opening montage where mm-hmm. the, you see them all for the first time and they are birthed. Yes. Is Riley is sort of fully her mind is fully opened up yeah. in a way by the by the drugs mm-hmm. as well as everything else that's going on at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh very similar to the beginning, I think. But yeah. it's like now she's experiencing it more where she's really seeing this connection that exists mm-hmm. uh with Will specifically at the end right. of the episode. But it I like that as as this being a pilot episode. It really feels like a moment to end on. I mean, of course, it doesn't actually end there. She talks to Will a little bit. Yes. And then there's this big scene where all these people get shot. Yes. Which, you know, is also a good cliffhanger thing to do. But it feels like that's the most important moment that it ends on there mm-hmm. is this moment for her where she sees what the rest of them will soon understand better. Mm-hmm. But she gets it first because yeah. that's her, her role. Yeah. And... Um, but this conversation she has before that yes. with uh, Nick's, I think is the name. <laughs> Uncle Benjamin. <laughs> Uncle Benjamin, yes. <laughs> is um, very interesting because it's it's this interesting line, I think, of like, well, the fact that, as he said, he's really creepy, but he's also sincere. Yeah. Just like how the Wachowskis, especially in Sense8, you know, they, they seem to have a more positive view mm-hmm. of various drugs than... A lot of other people might. Yes, recreational drug use. So there's that layer, I think, in this scene, too, of, like, it's it's probably not good, really, for Riley to be uh, drowning in this sort of stuff right now. Yes. But at the same time, it's not really judging her for that. And, right. And he's giving her this speech mm-hmm. that's all about opening your mind and feeling better about you know, understanding your life and not feeling trapped like you don't know what to do. Right. Which is all just leading to him saying... And the way to do that is, Here's you know, <laughs> we'll take these drugs right now. And I think it's it's the cool line of sincere and also a bit worrying because you can tell that That's not she she's not in a good place. Yeah. But at the same time, this is the catalyst for this moment mm-hmm. for her where uh, she does see uh, the connection that the sensates now have, mm-hmm. which is what they're called. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, that was not clear. Yes, which is also the name of the show. It's a, it's a great pun. Yeah. So th- I think this is very interesting, and I like the performance of Mr. Uncle Benjamin. Yes. Uh, where he does seem like he's saying, this really worked for me. And you kind of have this feeling like, especially once you've seen the end of it, uh, maybe it's not a great idea for everyone involved in this scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do think he means it. Yeah. I also think it's, it's interesting because uh, when you first meet her, she seems really just kind of 
beat down, worn, and distracted, and kind of out of it. I think. I think. And you, are, I think, upon initial viewing, you think, "Oh wow, maybe it's because she keeps seeing <laughs> Angelica everywhere," and that that would freak me out too. But I think the fact that you know, in the end scene where she's kind of at the drug den. And all of her questionable friends are, you know, doing the drugs. And then she's kind of the last one there with with uh, Nix. Uh, he talks to her and does that mm. whole spiel. And she's listening to really, really sad music on her headphones. Yeah. And I didn't get it the first time, but obviously after you see her full story play through, you can see, like, you can read into it as, yeah, her being kind of disturbed by seeing Angelica and not knowing what's going on. Mm-hmm. But you could also read it on a deeper level of, like, something is fundamentally like has something tragic has happened and she is not in a good place right now i think there's a way where she could seem disaffected or like she i don't know she's a dj yeah she's she's clearly kind of hip you might have this feeling that she is talking to these people initially Mm -hmm. and it's like she doesn't really care what they're saying right and it's not entirely clear that she isn't feeling well essentially you might just think that she's like that yeah and i don't think really the full extent of that is clear until the whole season is over you start to understand about two-thirds of the way in that something bad has happened to her yeah and it's also made pretty clear i mean aside from the you know the the drug use the recreational Mm -hmm. drug use and whatever you know direction they go with that whether it's good or not i think it's it's obvious that she's not in a good place regardless of their their views on recreational drug <laughs> use yes. because when like uh Nix is talking to her and he wants to f- he feels he tries to feel her pulse when he turns her hand over you can see that there's self-harm scars on on there for her so she's you know she's not in a good i think mental state yeah um and it doesn't become obvious for the reason for the reason of her mental state until much later on but it, it could be I guess what I'm saying is like the first time I watched it I was like oh she's just really freaked out by mm. seeing this and she is it's kind of her temperament she's not taking it well yeah Riley is really uh, also quite um, absent from a lot of the following episodes mm-hmm. which is why I was saying you know Nomi is a big focus early on because you mm-hmm. have Riley well and Nomi doing a lot of stuff here mm-hmm. but after Riley's big you know her owning the end of the episode basically in a way being the most important character Mm -hmm. that you might take from the pilot Mm -hmm. she spends about three whole episodes almost just sort of wandering around town in days from this you know shooting that just happened in front of her and they don't really get back to her for a little bit which is why i think you don't fully understand what's going on with her until later because you don't even get back to her for quite a while right yeah, so that's kind of an interesting little arc set up for. Her. It's also funny because they, it's it almost seems like a throwaway line, and I didn't actually hear it until a couple times through, uh, rewatching the episode. But when they start the, the you know the drug den shootout and they start freaking mm-hmm. out, and she's like, "Oh my god, we have to go! Please don't hurt him. Leave him alone. What are you doing? Don't do this." One of her friends is like, "You said you wanted a fresh start. You said you didn't want to be here anymore. You said you wanted to go to America." And it's interesting because, like, the scene before that is literally, like, she got pulled away from the scene where she's first meeting Will. And mm-hmm. there's just kind of, I feel like it's the first time she lights up and gets really excited. She's like, yeah. he's like, you're in America. She's like, oh, my God, I've never been to America. Yeah. And it just kind of seems like hopeful and possibilities. And then she's literally drawn back 
and then they also further emphasize that you know she wants to get away she wants to escape and she appears to be escaping in the form of drugs and then also you know telling her friends like physically escaping the continent and going over to the u.s so you know something has happened to her essentially and there's all these tiny tiny little kernels that you know again rewatch value super great Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much her. And then uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the episodic storyline for Will? Yeah, I think we kind of covered what, what yeah. Will was doing, and especially because Will always tends to be the sensate who is most actively involved with the larger plot of the show. Right. So, you know, he's searching for where Angelica's body was at yeah, the end. Yeah, he's, it's, I mean, it's he's very the detective. He's the one that wants to find the answers. Yeah. But his, his little individual story about the, the boy who shot, I think, is really just there specifically mm-hmm. to emphasize well you know that will is not only good but like he's he's a cop and he's he's one of the good cops you right. know uh, i think honestly you could say the wachowskis are quite aware of you know this is a tricky subject to tackle in, even in 2015 you the know current political climate, yeah, yeah and uh and it's important to them to emphasize what kind of character will is i guess mm-hmm. and you know have his partner talking about how the, the cops are natural enemies, you know, mm-hmm. of all the criminals, but Will doesn't buy into that himself. Yeah, it's just another, yeah. you know, system of, you know, stereotyping and control and yeah. assumptions. And, uh, yeah, then he takes the kid to the hospital and they don't want to take him because mm-hmm. they don't take gunshot wounds, which might be a little over I don't the top. know how realistic that is. I think pe- people have said, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit much because policies of that sort exist but you know if you actually brought someone yeah. to a hospital they they would deal with it I feel like on a on a, like a an ethical yeah. level like I, I don't I, I don't know maybe I'm just living in a naive world but I feel like that was the one thing the more I've watched the episode the more I'm like I get they're trying to make a point across about kind of the world that Will lives in yeah. and how you know the, the nurse brings up a good point of and even Diego does it too when he first finds mm. the kid who's been shot, who the kid is part of a gang. And he says, well, if it were us, you think he would come and save us? No. Yeah. And then even the nurse says, well, now that you've saved his life by bringing him here and we, we got him through, he pulled through, mm. how are you going to feel if he goes and shoots a cop now? Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of one of those moral questions that they keep asking Will. And that's, I think, something that he is constantly facing not just in this episode but throughout the season is always fighting to do what's right even yeah. though what's right isn't systemically right yeah but and the system itself is an issue the way that's expressed is is a little blunt and it's not like those uh, ways of expressing that sort of thing are completely absent from from the show in general that's mm-hmm. just sort of a thing that Wachowskis do in particular you know they they're a little uh, blunt sometimes they uh, they would rather go straight to their point than I guess dance around it in a mm-hmm. more elegant way but on the other hand I think there's a lot more going on in this first episode that comes from more just pilot syndrome mm-hmm. and it's more obvious exposition I mean the way that Will is shown to be a good guy is that his partner doesn't want him to help and the woman at the hospital also is Doesn't not want wanting help. him to help. And yeah. so it's just obviously set up so that Will is the one that does want to help. Right. And to do that, you might have to stretch the moral limits of everyone else a little bit because mm-hmm. you have to have them straight up saying no while well, he says yes. Right. Which 
especially since, you know, as we get to know his partner Diego, like, he seems like a pretty great guy. Yeah, and he still seems like a, a cool guy, but he, he seems definitely more of a realist, if not a pessimist, yeah. about their job. He's like, this is just the way things are. And Will's just like, that doesn't make it right, though. It's probably just, yeah, a little bit overdone at first, maybe. Yeah. Although, as I was saying before, I just, the fact that, you know, they do treat the kid at the hospital mm-hmm. means saying whether it's overdone it's not really a big deal because they end up doing it anyway right so in the end it's just a little conversation about uh you gotta take this kid we can't do that but you gotta okay exactly. <laughs> you know they they do it yeah um i think it's so just also supposed to be like look at the environment that will lives in yeah like he's a cop this environment is a little messed up not just for cops but for people who are in gangs mm. so and if we're talking about clunky exposition i'll mention the one other thing mm. which is the know me thing because i should you know be neutral in yeah. the show even though we love the show very much mm-hmm. uh, I, I would like to say that there are individual lines in various episodes mm-hmm. that i could point out and be like that one mm-hmm. uh was a little bit didn't work as well but i think that's the kind of thing we like about the bachowskis they're mm-hmm. very ambitious and they yeah. have big feelings yes and big feelings do not always translate into great lines, although in the case of Sensei, they do most of the time. It's not so much great lines as it comes off as cheesy, which people it's just, can't handle. It's just hard. They write the kind of lines sometimes that I think people probably wouldn't say in real life, usually because they are too much like uh, literal transmissions of feelings coming right. from the head. And in this case, I think you get this flashback scene with Nomi and Omnita, which is essentially there to show their love for each other, mm-hmm. which is conveyed by having Nomi <laughs> specifically say that she uh, she isn't crying because Omnita... Def- uh, what does she say? I'm sorry. She's not crying because somebody said yes. like that mean thing to me. She's crying because Omnita defended her and no one has ever defended her before, which is how she feels, but she says it quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the kind of thing in a pilot that can make you feel... Um, wow, this show really wants us to know that these people like each other. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel organic necessarily. However, when you've seen the show and you already like the two of them... And know them as characters. It's not really a big deal because you do buy into it anyway. Yeah. It's just the kind of thing I remember from watching it the first time and the kind of thing I might think about if I show it someone else. I think, you know, you might think that part was clunky and that's totally fair, mm-hmm. even though I like it now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like that, and I think, uh, yeah, most of the point of Nomi's role in this episode is to solidify that foundation with yes. Amanita, because she's about to go through some trials, and you need to understand their relationship before that happens, Yes, essentially. It essentially just needs to be confirmed that they have an incredibly strong support system with yeah. one another, and there's like a deep, deep And their, their environment, you know, it centers yes. them as not, not just being uh, I don't know how to say the distinction not just being included in the LGBT spectrum but mm-hmm. also uh, being a very active in its community Yes, which is also important for, for thematic reasons but also just it does come into play in actual plot terms in terms of them having a larger support system yes, in later sure. episodes and you know it, they're in San Francisco so it's it's just about the most uh, extreme it could get focused there you know there there isn't much else you could do mm-hmm. with with placing Nomi into that sphere and you know this this episode even centers plus the next one does 
around Pride. them. Well, in the next one, they're attending like Pride Parade. Yeah, I think it takes. Uh, I think with Nomi's storyline, it, it it picks up. It's on the same day because a lot yeah, of it is it actually is. her. Um, it is a flashback because I think with the first time you see them, it's in the morning. That's and they're true. talking about, oh, are you excited for Pride? She's like, remember our first Pride? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I do. We did this thing. And then they go and support like a friend's play. Mm. And then um, I think they do the parade either later that day or the next day. Yeah, the timeline is not entirely clear, but I think you get the gist. And yeah. it jumps right into it anyway in the next yeah. one, and it feels very connected. But I think this sets her up. It's important. And I think I was just going to say, yeah, that, that obviously the, the character uh, is more direct line to theoretically, at least, you know, mm. some, some of uh, the Wachowski's beliefs uh, or thoughts mm-hmm. than, um, than they may have previously invited in, in other uh, stories. Like, you're moving from, from the space of, you know, metaphor to... Literal discussion of such things. Yes. Oh, I don't remember if we talked about you know people's thoughts about the Matrix and how parts With of it switch. can be read as metaphor. That too, of yeah. course. But it's like people read this kind of thing into their work, and so it's very interesting to see them actually tackling a head-on. Yeah. In, in Sense Eight, where they have an opportunity to do so. And they have a transgender <laughs> character. Mm-hmm. I don't think have they ever had a transgender character in their work before. What th- they were explicitly transgender? Uh, I, I guess not. I don't think um, so. No. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, they, they made sure to do it right, as it were, I guess, and to, to They cast. actually have a transgender yeah. actress playing it. And um, it, it definitely feels like this is... I guess the Wachowskis are the right people to tackle this part of the story. You know, I know people have talked about Sensei in a terms of its diversity of uh, countries and cultures and ethnicities and whatever. Yeah, but also gender um, and sexuality yes, and as well, and identity. I, yeah. And I think that uh, some people have said uh, it's a bit more surface level in some aspects of how they represent other countries, mm-hmm. although I do think that a lot of that is what you could call starting with stereotypes and working from there, Yes, which is not just about the characters, it's also about uh, genres and things. I think, you know, it's not just, oh, this is what India looks like. It's kind of like, this is a little bit of a film India. You know, they do a Bollywood yeah. dance scene later. And, yeah. and with, like, Germany, this is, like, film gangster Germany. Right. It's, it's about, like, the genres of films of those places, too. Mm-hmm. And they use that as a base to expand outwards. Because once you look at all our characters, once you know them better, yeah. they're clearly not, you know, defined by stuff that everyone refers to of mm-hmm. people of that area or culture mm-hmm. uh, they might begin looking like they are but yeah. they don't end up that way however I do think that it, it might be hard to argue against that kind of thing specifically uh, in terms of what their knowledge is mm-hmm. of those places because of course they aren't from any of those places however I do think that's why with the, the Nomi story mm-hmm. uh, you know that it's much more founded in uh, experience that you know you can't really deny it yourself. Like they they clearly know a lot about just this culture in general. You know yes. this is a specific. It doesn't make them yeah. It doesn't make them experts on it, but mm-hmm. it does lend themselves to having more of a a say in how it's getting represented. Yeah. Well, to me, it just means you know you could say, oh, I don't really 
think that they understand what it's actually like there in Nairobi. Right. Especially since, like, Kafia's accent is slightly wrong or, you know, yes. it's, it's from a different region. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, if someone were to say, you know, I don't think they understand this, this community over here. Yeah. It's like, well, that's clearly not true. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes through almost directly sometimes like it will in the following episode when Nomi writes a big blog yeah. piece that kind of speaks like it's coming from the author in certain ways I think yeah. and you shouldn't read too much into that kind of thing ever I think because people can always write different stuff than what they actually think of course but of course it's hard to deny that that exists and that it's important because it's you know it's the transgender character uh, actor and uh, filmmaker, creator, which is not yeah. exactly a very common yeah. combination, um, yeah. and unfortunately, uh, you know, is is I guess groundbreaking in terms of it. it I mean, yeah, it's so funny because like this I mean, whole I think it is. it's a microcosm of the show. The whole show I find to be very yeah. groundbreaking, and just in the sense of representation, and just I love the idea of it's very humanist, in the sense that. <laughs> This sounds so pretentious, but in the sense that, uh, like what you said, it, it starts off, and it's the same, I think, it's closest ties to Cloud Atlas, where you start off in Cloud Atlas with different timelines and mm-hmm. different characters, and with this, it's all happening in the same timeline, but it's different characters in different places, all happening at once, and when you start out as with Cloud Atlas and with this first episode, they seem so separated from one another you don't understand how there's a connection between them and then by the end of it it's kind of going to be like so essential for you to see it as just this one big global connection and that yes there are still individuals but Mm -hmm. like it's a balancing act to understand that yeah they're individuals but they're also part of this this connection in this community that's beyond any you know country or gender or sexuality or identity it is about all the people and, yeah and I think it's about humanist people. humanist is a good word yeah uh and you know the wachowskis do love their big out and out villains yes big scenery chomping villains but on the other hand i do think that especially in sensei uh you do get that sense of trying to sketch out believable reasons for everyone to be doing things even if they are one of those antagonists yes um, which which fits with that theme. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Cloud Alice, so I was just wanted to say that I, I've always assumed mm. that they must have in some way been inspired by making that to come yes. up with Sensei. Because I think of Cloud Alice, in terms of the way they have similar structures, mm. Cloud Alice is like the the time version of that, and Sensei is, is the place where, you know, they're very different of course because doing a story that takes place across time is obviously fundamentally very different yes they do not interact in that way yeah but in terms of when you're actually watching it and the way it is edited together you know watching cloud atlas it can just it feels like it's all happening at the same time of course it isn't and so the experience is very similar and i think sensei is essentially just that except instead of over time you know it's around the world it's yeah, it's, it's in, in the physical space one is time one is space yeah. yeah and i i just think that's really cool because cloud alice of course is an adaptation and it's like they thought this was such a cool way to tell a story mm-hmm. but they wanted to do something like that that was belonged to them yeah instead of to someone else i guess yeah 
I love this show. It's great. If you can't tell already, we really love this show. We showed it to a lot of yes. friends and um, were devastated when it got canceled and are so happy that they were nice enough to give us uh, a finale, essentially. We're so. trying to be objective. Yes, it's not working, but... I think I'm doing very well with criticism. You're doing a good job. Um, it, it, it's a tough sell, especially the first episode for some people. Some people jump right on board, us included. Some people, it takes a little bit longer, and that's okay. And it's fine if you don't like it, but I think it's important to give it a shot because, like I said, this is, like, I've never seen another TV show like this before. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean yeah, in the best way possible. So It's something new. It's something new. It's something original both in terms of storytelling and and just production level too is insane so great soundtrack by the great way great soundtrack which i would like to say because mm. the wachowski's last what one two three four yeah several projects yeah uh only have a score yeah and this show has a very nice score too oh. that i believe it was all written before yeah they started doing they that it. i think after cloud atlas They're yeah like, that's how we're gonna they do like it that. from here on uh, and you can kind of tell because they reuse a lot of it. It kind of feels like they had act the action theme, the emotional theme. Mm-hmm. Where should we put these things instead of the other way around? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's basically the first time since uh, The Matrix yeah. that they've had a soundtrack of licensed songs as yeah. well. So you get to see how the Wachowski's musical taste has evolved. It's delightful. From purely 90s angry rap rock slash really intense stuff yeah <laughs> to also including smooth electronic beats yeah it's great <laughs> it's exciting and it just makes me want to do karaoke so there you go yes actually music will be particularly important oh, in yes, a few weeks so uh, yes it will so anyway I, d- I think we should probably wrap this up yeah. because this is getting longer than the it's episode slightly itself, longer than the episode but i'll trim it down <laughs> um but yeah, any last minute thoughts or anything just to excite about moving forward with this? Not really. I'm excited to talk about Everything. the next episode yeah. and not have to talk about... Uh, I have to set up the characters. Uh, yeah, setting everything yeah, up. Yeah, agreed. But um, it's exciting. I'm very, very excited. We can talk about Jonas next time. Oh, yes. Just you wait, guys. Alrighty, we should sign off. This has been Vicky. This is Camden. And we will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. That's right. You thought I was going to do it, but I didn't. Ha <laughs> ha. Full of surprises. <laughs> if you guys liked our show, please let us know. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast, And also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. Then I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook. And you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. (laughs) Um, Also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off. <laughs>